Amen. Good morning. Uh, I want to say a big, huge thank you. I know Heidi said it for us already, but I just want to say thank you again for resourcing our kids to go last week to Dallas. I was there for uh, another reason doing the podcast, but I was with them, and what an amazing group of kids we have. This is just awesome. And God is doing something really special in those kids, and uh, I'm so thankful for Heidi and our uh, sponsors and all the people that are investing in our students every single week. Uh, Julian, uh, Hayden, Mindy, um, so many people. Carl is a part of that. There's just thank you guys for what you do and how you serve. Um, it was a great week, and uh, so thank you for sending us. And uh, so thankful that God's doing what He's doing in our church. Uh, last week we talked about we've been in this series called Acts: The Story of the Church, and we talked about the fact that God keeps His promises. Right? If He says it, we can take it to the bank. It's it's a done deal. God will keep every one of his promises. We're going to touch on that again a little bit this week. God promised uh, Paul on this ship before the ship wrecked uh, that through an angel that no one would be lost, that every life would be saved. The ship would, in fact, uh, break apart and run aground, but everybody would be safe, and they would make it uh, to shore alive somewhere. Didn't know where. And uh, God kept every single promise in that beautiful little sentence at the end of our text last week that all were brought safely to land. And I just love that, and it's been encouraging to me as I think about the promises of God and how he loves us uh, and how he keeps every promise that he makes to us. So we continue this week in our story. We get to kind of see the kindness of the people where they end up shipwrecking, and we see Paul being a blessing and receiving a blessing as well. So if you have your Bible with you, turn over in Acts. We're going to be in the very last chapter. We've made it to the last chapter of Acts. It's taken us five summers, but we're in the last chapter of Acts. Not that we're wanting to move on. I love Acts. I'm not necessarily rushing us here. It's just, you know, it's been, uh, it's been really good. Look with me in Acts 28, verse 1. It says, after we were brought safely through, we then learned that the island was called Malta, the native people showed us unusual kindness, for they kindled a fire and welcomed us all. Because it had begun to rain and it was cold. When Paul had gathered a bundle of sticks and put them on the fire, a viper came out because of the heat and fastened to his hand. When the native people saw the creature hanging from his hand, they said to one another, No doubt this man is a murderer. Though he has escaped from the sea, justice has not allowed him to live. He, however, shook off the creature into the fire and suffered no harm. They were waiting for him to swell up or suddenly fall down dead. But when they had waited a long time and saw no misfortune come to him, they changed their minds and said that he was a God. <laughs> we're going to continue to read through verse 10 in our message, but let's just take a moment and pray, can we, and ask the Lord to bless this time. Father, you're so good. We love you so much. God, what a privilege it is to to be in your house with your people. In fact, your people are the house. <laughs> not this wood, not this building. Your people are what makes up the house. And so, God, we just, we're so thankful to be with family today um, as brothers and sisters in Christ. And Lord, we thank you so much for the beautiful uh, text that is the book of Acts and this story of the church. And God, we pray that as we get into this last chapter, we truly see what it is that you want to speak to us uh, through Paul's journey and through what happens here on Malta. 
God, I pray that your spirit would lead us to all truth, that you would help us to know you more, understand your word more, and understand how you would have us to live in obedience to that word uh, to you today. God, thank you for uh, our visitors that are with us today. I pray that they feel like they're a part of the family. Thank you so much for the work that you're doing in our, gr- our student group and in our church and our city groups. Lord, we love you, and we just lay all those things down because this is your church, and we surrender to you. Father, now we pray that you would lead us to all truth, that I would stay out of your way, God, that you would increase, that I would decrease, and you'd give us uh, the courage to be obedient to what your word says for us today. In Jesus' precious name, amen. Amen. So Paul is on this ship. They make it to the beach safely, but the storm is not over. It's still raining. It's cold. Uh, But it says, the text says, Luke says, that they showed us unusual kindness and compassion. So they throw this huge bonfire. And you know it had to be a big bonfire if it's going to warm 276 people and all the native people as well, right? That's a big fire. It's not like just, we've got a little pit in the backyard like this big, and sometimes we're basically hovering out over the top of it just to get warm. This is a big bonfire in order to warm that many people in the rain, even. So this is an interesting moment, and can you imagine how that fire must have felt to these guys? They've been on a a boat of the first century. This is not the most well-crafted boat, probably, and it is, they were worried it was falling apart, so they put ropes around it to make sure it doesn't break up in the sea. It's raining, it's cold, the water's splashing up on you for over two weeks and you're starving. And then you finally get to a place where people are kind, they have food, and they have fire. And you just attract to that fire like a moth at night and you want to just be so close. Can you imagine how good that felt to their bones and to their souls to be connected to something warm like that? Well, Luke tells us that when they get there and it becomes daybreak, that they, you know, they, they put out their anchors in the middle of the night. They don't know where they are. They, can, they hear that they're close to shore. The sounding says that they're about 90 feet to the, to the bottom, so they're getting close to shore. They let out their anchors, and they wait till daybreak. And as daybreak happens, they look up, and it says the sailors don't recognize the land. These sailors that, that sail this, uh, these grain vessels from Alexandria, Egypt, to Rome all the time don't recognize this spot of land. Interesting. And so now that they can see uh, in daybreak, they can see where they are, uh, they're going to go for the land. Everybody's going to jump, they're going to swim, and we see that they they make it. They get there, the people are kind and welcoming, they give the fire, and uh, so things are looking up for this crew, it seems like, right? There's four things I want us to focus on this morning that I think we can see not only in our story, but we can also take note of in our own lives and how we can learn something today from God's Word. So here's the first one. Mission begins with service. Look at the first couple of verses. Look at verse 3 specifically here. It says, Paul had gathered a bundle of sticks and he put them on the fire. Now I want you to remember something about the Apostle Paul. He had been on this ship, you remember back before, right as they left, Paul said, hey guys, I don't think we ought to sail in this weather at this time of year. Remember that? And nobody listened to Paul. Remember that? The, the uh, centurion didn't listen to him, the pilot of the ship, the owner of the ship. Nobody listened to Paul. Paul's just like in his chains going, oh, alrighty then. And he goes and sits back down with the other prisoners. But 11 days later, he encourages the entire ship. People are starting to listen to Paul. Three days later, it's two weeks on this crazy vessel that they don't know if they're going to live or die. And Paul says, take courage. It's time to eat. Like we need to eat because we're going to run aground. 
That's the promise of God. So let's thank God for this food that we have and thank God that he's going to save our lives. Let's eat, get courage, let's get strength. And everyone, the text says, listen to Paul. So Paul's kind of gone from captive on the ship to almost captain of the ship. Right? You see him leading this way out of his compassion for other people. So what's interesting in this moment that Paul is gathering wood is the fact that when you gather wood for especially a big bonfire like this, this is the most menial job on the island. This is the thing, the thing you send the kids to go do. Go get some wood. Hush, go get the wood, right? You, you, that, that kind of a thing. But here we see the Apostle Paul gathering wood. He, can you imagine? He's tired two weeks with a little grain, and yet Paul's there just happy to be alive, happy to be next to the fire. Let's grab all the wood we can find because this is going to need to be a big fire. And I love to see the, Paul, the Apostle Paul serving in this way, being a blessing to people. There's a, there's a statement that I know you're familiar with that says, people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care, right? You can have your PhD, you can have your doctorate, you can, you can have all types of experience you could have pastored for 40 years. People do not care about that unless you care about them. That's what I love about this moment. Here's the Apostle Paul who's pseudo-captain for a moment, but he's not walking in there going, whew, good thing I saved this ship. Y'all go get some wood. I'm tired, man. That's not Paul. And I love that Luke records this servant-hearted moment of Paul, going to grab the wood, going to do whatever he can. I remember at a leadership conference not long ago, I heard somebody say, uh, if serving is beneath you, then leadership is beyond you. You ever heard that? I can't think of a more true statement. In business, in ministry, in family life, fathers, mothers, if serving is beneath you, then leadership is beyond you. Leaders ought to serve. They ought to be people willing to do any job that is needed at the moment. That's what I hope and pray, and I believe that our pastors and our elders are. They are servant leaders. That's who we need, and that's who we want to be, and that's who we want you to be for your families and your businesses and your homes and every place where you have influence to serve people because mission begins with service, and that's what we see Paul doing. You know, I can remember growing up, my dad had a business, gourmet food business, uh, for many years, over 30 years, and then my brother took over the business and ran it. I've seen both of those men in that business do the most menial job needed, right? Whether that be to fix the toilet, clean the toilet, sweep the floor, carry the delivery. I, I can remember my dad and I, my brother and I in the dumpster breaking down boxes, jumping up and down in the dumpster, right? Because that was something that was needed to be done, and therefore we, we got to do it. I love when I see leaders serving well because if serving is beneath you, then leadership is beyond you. So Paul shows that. Not only the people who are on the ship that he just got off the ship with, he's showing them, hey, listen, I'm still serving. I'm here to serve you. I'm here to be a blessing. This is not about me. He's showing the people on the island that don't know Paul. Wow, this guy's cool. This is, he seems to be a leader, but yet he's serving. He's teaching in every moment, even in his weariness. I know you get tired. I know I get tired. We came home from this trip and it was like, ugh, we were, all, we were all dead to the world, right? But even still, even in those weary moments, 
God is calling leaders to lead, even in menial positions, to serve. And that's what we see Paul doing, right? But, so he's gathering sticks, but unfortunately he gathers something a little more than sticks. He gathers what I like to call a nope rope. You ever heard of a nope rope? Where you just say, nope, you shouldn't do it, right? And I, I hate this moment. This is not, I don't even like to read it. Verse 3, when Paul had gathered a bundle of sticks and he put them on the fire, a viper came out because of the heat and fastened to his hand. Yeah, nope rope. You should say nope to those things. Do you, who likes snakes in here? Anybody? Good, good. Yeah. Snakes are weird. I don't, I don't like them. Even from the garden, we know they're no good, right? So he, there's a snake in this bundle of sticks. He, he goes to put it on the fire. It comes out of the fire, latches onto his hand. I, uh, again, I have this memory of my dad. Um, we had a shed in the backyard when I was about in 10th grade, and we had a tree house above the shed. And I was, it was my job that day to clean out the shed. So I was out there, I was pulling the mowers out, pulling the weed eater out, getting everything outside of the shed to sweep it up and clean. And one thing was left in the back of the shed, and it was just this big board. It was leaning up against the back wall. So I go in there, I grab the board, pull it out, stick my hand down like this, and get the board up under my arm, turn around, walk out, and my dog starts going crazy in the shed. And I, I put the board down on the fence and I turn around, and what looked like a king cobra. I, it might have been, actually, if I'm being honest. It, it was ginormous. It was over six foot long, and it was a rat snake, perfectly harmless, but in the moment, it was a king cobra and deadly. And so, naturally, I went to get my father. Fathers are supposed to kill these things. And so I go down, run down the yard, I holler at my dad, and he gets the hoe, a garden hoe, and he runs up, and he gets up there, and the dog's barking, protecting everybody, and the snake is up there coiled up and, like, doing its thing, ready to kill somebody, I'm convinced. And my dad goes, here, son, kill it. <laughs> he did. And, uh, but I'm sure it was, a, it was a leadership lesson for me. How to, how to grow, you know, learn and grow in, in times of perilous snakes and things like that. So we got the snake killed. So this snake comes out of the, the sticks with Paul, bites him. What I love is it just says Paul shakes it off into the fire. Paul is not phased by this, but the native people who are watching this, and you can just see all these heads going, <gasps> what's going on? They're just watching this because they know the snakes on their island. They know the animals on their island. And this snake is a deadly snake. They know that because they've seen it bite other people, and when it bites other people, they do what they're waiting for Paul to do, which is they swell up, fall over dead. So this happens quickly, usually, right? Didn't happen to Paul. First thing I wanted you to see this morning is that mission begins with service. Second is this. Uh, we need to know the difference between bad theology versus God's grace. We're going to see some, some theological thinking but it's not good theological thinking for this, from these people. Verse 4, look what he says. When the native people saw the creature hanging from his hand, they said to one another, no doubt this man is a murderer, right? Though he has escaped from the sea, justice has not allowed him to live. He, however, shook off the creature into the fire and suffered no harm. They were waiting for him to swell up or suddenly fall down dead. But when they had waited a long time, they were just positive he was about to kill over, right? They waited a long time. They saw no misfortune come to him. They changed their minds and said he was a god. <laughs> Just think this is hilarious. 
They're, they're waiting. See, they, they see the snake bite Paul and they know Paul's a dead man. Not just that he's going to die, but that Paul deserves to die. This is where the theological position comes in, right? He must have done something like murder in order to deserve a deadly snake bite. See, he's done something horrible. He, must be, he, he's, he has to be, no doubt it says. No doubt he's a murderer because now he's gotten this snake bite. And he thought he could escape the sea. And he maybe, maybe escaped the sea. But now revenge has not allowed him to live. I don't know, if you look in your Bible, I don't know if the word justice is capitalized. Do you see that? It's because they're not talking about justice as just an attribute. They're talking about justice, the person. Did you know justice was a person, supposedly, in their religion? They worship the goddess Dike. She is uh, the daughter of Zeus, and they, she's known as the goddess of justice. Sometimes they call her DK, sometimes they call her justice. So they're literally saying, in our religion, in what we believe, in our bad theology, somehow justice, the goddess, daughter of Zeus, has allowed you to live, right? So they, they have this, their own theology, their, their bad theology, uh, but that's what they think has happened now that She's getting revenge, they think, on Paul because of this snake bite. So they're waiting on Paul to swell up, kill over, but nothing happens. Again, sometimes these stories play out in my mind as, as comedy. And uh, so I just see all these people, and there are a ton of them, all these heads sitting there looking, and everybody's looking at the same time. Everything Paul does, Paul's just kind of like getting more wood. I'm, it's okay, you know, you know. And they're just waiting, waiting a long time, and nothing happens. And so then they're convinced he's not just a murderer, he must be a god. Can you say fickle faith? I mean, this is just, <laughs> thank you, Ellie. <laughs> he said fickle faith. Um, in minutes, they go from, he must be a murderer. No, 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 he's not a murderer, we were wrong on that one. He's a god. You see that? Do you know anybody like that? They know just enough about God or just enough about religion or just enough about some sort of faith that they, they attribute everything to something God's done. Well, she's going to get hers because of dot, 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 right? Well, if you know what she did in the marriage, like all these things, these sayings, these rumors, this gossip kind of a thing. What's, what's funny is they're not that far off, honestly. Uh, Romans 1 talks about the fact that God has placed in all of our hearts, of all humanity, in the hearts, uh, this sense of right and wrong. There's an innate, uh, God-given ability to, to sense from right from wrong. But if you don't have biblical knowledge, then what you do with that right and wrong is you, you attach narratives to all the right or narratives to all the wrong. And all of a sudden you become unbiblical very quickly. And you start thinking, one guy's a murderer, and then five minutes later, no, he's a god. We have to be so careful with what we think as street theologians. And when we remove God from our theology, we think, well, it feels this way. Or it just seems like, i tell you what my God would do, right? You start making up these little phrases and these little theologies and these little belief systems. We cannot do that. We have to trust that the word of God is the word of God. Of God, and that is what we learn from. That is what we live by. So, God has placed this in our hearts that we know truth, but be careful. 
that you make up your own belief. So Paul's bitten by this deadly snake, uh, and yet he doesn't die. So the truth is, and, and the reason I say that they're not that far off is because they were actually right about Paul, weren't they? Paul was a murderer. So when they said, he, no doubt he's a murderer, they were right. Paul was a murderer. Paul deserved to die. Whether by, by uh, any of these times he's escaped death or by this snake, he deserved death. But he didn't die because of God's grace. See, even though he was guilty of murder, he had been forgiven by God in spite of his sin, in spite of the broken story that he's walked, God has forgiven him and given him grace. He served the one true God humbly. He, he wasn't a God. That's why it wasn't a big deal for him to say, I don't have to be in control, I can go pick up sticks. I'm just a servant. I'm just here to serve. Can't help but when I think about this story and Paul being on this island with a group of people that he doesn't know. We know, we've been following Paul for five summers in Acts. We know what Paul does in a new town, right? We know what he does. And so he's on mission to make Jesus known. And I, I can't help but think about Jesus' instruction to the disciples about mission. When you go into a new town, when he sends out the 72, two by two, there are some specific instructions that Jesus has given. Paul knows these instructions. Right? He's living by these instructions. Look, look with me in your Bible. Luke 10, verse 17. Look at some of these instructions after the 72 have come back. It says, the 72 returned with joy, saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. And he said to them, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. <laughs> I love that statement. Jesus is saying in that moment, I was there. I watched when Satan fell from heaven. I was there. Behold, and therefore I have authority. Behold, I give, have given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy. Nothing shall hurt you. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. So I love this. So yeah, the snake bit Paul, but Paul didn't die because He's been given authority by Jesus as an apostle that that won't hurt him because he's on mission to make Jesus known, right? So he's, he's following through. He understands these instructions. So he doesn't freak out in the moment when a snake is hanging from his hand, a deadly viper. What am I going to do? I'm gonna... No. Jesus has spoken to this exact thing. He shakes it off into the fire. He also has a promise from Jesus. We talked about promises last weekend. He has a promise from Jesus saying, you've got to go to Rome and be my witness. He's got a promise from the Lord through an angel. You've got to go to Rome and be a witness. Right? So with Jesus' instruction, promise of God, Paul's not faced. He shakes the snake off and says, no big deal. I've got a plan and a purpose to be here, and this snake is not going to stop me from the mission of God. There's another instruction that Jesus gives to the disciples, and that is to heal the sick. Look at Luke 10. Verse 8 says, whenever you enter a town and they receive you, eat what is set before you. Heal the sick in it and say to them, the kingdom of God has come near to you. So now we're going to see Paul doing this very thing as well. Look in our text, Acts 28, verse 7. Now in the neighborhood of the, that place where he's 
on the bonfire. There were these lands belonging to the chief man of the island named Publius, who received us and entertained us hospitably for three days. It happened that the father of Publius lay sick with fever and dysentery. And Paul visited him and prayed, and putting his hands on him, healed him. So a couple of things I want us to to break down for a second. Number one, when it says that Publius was the chief man of the land or of the island, that can also be translated as the Roman governor of the land. So Publius is a Roman name. This is a a Roman-occupied area, and he's the man in charge, right? So he's important. He's an important guy. He, He would have had a large home. He probably would have been wealthy having all these lands. I'm not sure his home was big enough to actually uh, cover all 276 people on a ship, but maybe it was. I don't know. Paul says they were cared for for three days and entertained. So whether that was in his home or not, I don't know. Something else I think is interesting right here. You notice how Paul is now connected to the leader of the island? He had a way of doing that. He found his way because of his own leadership ability and quotient that he could find his way to other leaders. We see it in Ephesus. In fact, the guy who's with him, who's warming up by the fire, Aristarchus, and there was another guy in Ephesus by the name of Gaius. You might remember they got thrown into the theater in Ephesus and they were about to be killed. And Paul is about to rush in and try to save them or speak or something. And it says in the text in Acts that the leaders, the people he had grown close to, the leaders of Ephesus told Paul not to go in. So we get this little, this little clue. Paul is connected to leaders in Ephesus. Paul has a way of aligning himself with leaders. Why? Because he is a man of influence. And to give influence, you give people who have influence. Right? You give them the gospel. And the hope is that if those people of influence have the gospel, then it filters down to everyone else. So he's wanting to make the biggest impact that he can make. And no different here on Malta. He's found the leading Roman governor, chief man of the island, Publius, and he's becoming friends with him. Now, Paul is uh, meeting all of the staff, all of the family, and Publius introduces him to his father, but his father's sick. He has fevers and dysentery, an intestinal disease. What's interesting is in the 1800s, and like the 1880s, they discovered in Malta, the goats on Malta, the milk of the goats on Malta had a microbe. And it made people sick. And guess what it gave them? Fevers and dysentery. So there's a good chance that it's called Malta fever. So there's a good chance that that's exactly what this man had, Publius's father, had Malta fever, right? They finally got a vaccine for it to treat it. But it would last in your system uh, from three months to four years. And so he was very sick. And what does Paul do? Paul prays for this man. He cares for him by praying for him. See, Paul knew that mission begins with service, but also that ministry begins with prayer. Look in the text. It says in verse 8, it happened that the father of Publius lay sick with fever and dysentery, and Paul visited him and prayed, putting his hands on him, he healed him. So here's the third thing. Ministry begins with prayer. Paul knew he can't heal people. Does Paul heal people? No. God heals people through Paul. I, I couldn't help but think about Peter and uh, 
John at the temple, Acts 3. They heal the crippled man as they're going into the temple. And everybody's going, how, how in the world did you do this? The, the crippled man is jumping up and down. He's hugging Peter and John. And, and, and Peter's very clear. He's like, this man has been healed by Jesus. In the name of Jesus, by Jesus. In other words, this doesn't have hardly anything to do with us. God is the only one who can heal. Paul knows that. In this moment, he lays hands on Publius' father because he knows he can't heal, but God can. And he's going to be the conduit. So as he lays hands on this man, he's the conduit of that healing. In fact, this is also obedient to Jesus. Mark 16, 18, in Mark's account of the Great Commission and sending these disciples out, he says, lay, uh, they, they lay their hands on the sick and they will recover. So in Jesus' direction to the disciples, lay your hands on them. Don't just pray for them. Lay your hands on them and pray for them. Be the conduit of that healing. Let them know this isn't just about you. You're the conduit of a great God who loves them. So he lays his hands on this man, and the man is healed by God through Paul. Can I just make a quick little note for us? Whether you know it or not, and I think you do, every one of us needs prayer. Every one of us needs prayer kindness and care. And if you don't feel like you need it today, I bet there's somebody in your family right now that does. How much do we think about that? In the way we treat people, in the way we connect to people, in the way we greet one another. Several years ago, been a lot of years ago, my, one of my favorite artists, Stephen Curse Chapman, came out with a song, Let Us Pray. And I remember when that song came out, it kind of changed how I felt about prayer for people because when somebody would say, hey, would you pray for me? I'm, I've got something going on. Used to, I'd go, yeah, sure will. You bet. And, and I'd pray later if I remembered to pray later. And I just decided, you know what? Let's just start praying right now. So when people said, hey, I'm having a back issue or whatever, okay, let's pray. I don't want to wait. Let's not wait. Let's pray right now. My point is this. People need our prayer. And God has given a beautiful ministry of prayer to every one of us. Are we doing that? Four individuals, four family members, because everyone needs it at some point, and if they don't, somebody in their family does. Paul does that. He's walking around with Publius, meets his father who's in dire need, and he prays for him, and God heals this man, this man of his uh, sickness. Here's the thing I know, and I've seen it in my own life, when we pray for people, we love people enough to serve them and pray for them, they respond to that kindness. They respond lovingly and they respond spiritually. And we see God work in their hearts and in their lives. I can't help but think about Jesus in this moment because something we're gonna see Paul do something that is incredible. Jesus, when he would go into a town and he would heal somebody and people would go, oh my gosh, Jesus can heal and all of a sudden all the sick people start flooding in and Jesus would just go, from this person to the next. And by the, this power, this apostolic gifting of healing that was given to the apostles, they did it as well. Remember there's a story even in Acts where uh, Peter could walk down the street and if his shadow fell, I'm looking at my shadow up here because of the lights. If I could heal and you could sit in that row and I could just wave my shadow over you, you could be healed if, if it was Peter. So this is an amazing moment. Look with me in verse 9. We see Paul doing this kind of thing. He says, and when this had taken place, in other words, the healing of, of Publius' father, the rest of the people on the island, 
Everybody else who was sick, all of them who had diseases, they also came and were cured. (laughs) He didn't make them just feel better. They were cured. He healed them. Verse 10, they also honored us greatly, and when we were about to sail, they put on board whatever we needed. People will respond to kindness. They will respond to love and service spiritually and lovingly in relationship. And so I want you to see a couple of things as we close. God has given Paul this platform of healing. He's healed the man's father. Now he's healed everybody else on the island. Do you know that all of a sudden people are paying attention to Paul, right? After he shakes the snake off, they're like, huh, something interesting about this guy. He didn't, he didn't die just now. Everybody else we've seen get bitten by that snake dies. Something's weird about this guy. Then he heals everybody who has an issue. Everyone. Do you think when Paul said, hey, <clears throat> excuse me, do you think everybody, what's, what's he going to say, right? And so then Paul does what? What do you think Paul does? How do we know, what do we know of Paul in a new town? He's going to preach, right? He's going to tell the gospel of Jesus. But that's not what Luke records in Acts. Next week we're going to learn that they end up staying on Malta for three months. That's, a, that's like a long time for Paul to do the work that Paul does. <laughs> And yet Luke never records that Paul preached the gospel. So you go, okay, wow, so what made him not preach the gospel? No. If we know Paul at all, right, if we have watched him go into one town or ten, what has he done? Preach the gospel. So I think in this moment Luke is kind of saying, this is a given. I'm, I'm bringing out the highlights of the healing and the highlights of the snake and all these things, but it's a given Everywhere Paul has gone, he has preached the gospel. So here's the thing. How do we know that? Well, let's look at some of the circumstantial evidence. The reality is Luke doesn't record that he preached it, but we know he did because we followed Paul. And it's not just that he has three days with Publius. He's got three months. And I believe Paul is making disciples, establishing their faith, and starting a church of Jesus. Right? Three months to do it. I believe he's got leaders in place. By the time he sails away, he's got leaders in place. Here's what's interesting in church history. Church history tells us Malta, in fact, was evangelized. Malta, in fact, had the gospel had taken root on Malta. And that there was, in fact, a church. And the first pastor, you know what his name was? Publius. In church history. I mean, makes sense, doesn't it? I know my father was sick. I know my father had issues and he was healed just like that. And then I watched Paul heal everybody sick on the island, some that have been sick as long as I've known them. And they're healed. See, this is what I want you to see. God had given a platform to Paul. The platform was healing. And people took note of that healing miracle ministry that Paul had. And because he had that platform and that ministry, they would listen to what he said. And he, he used that platform of miracles to tell about the greatest miracle there is. We've said this before. The greatest miracle you and I can ever see or experience, and that we see even in Scripture, is that God can take a heart of stone, Ezekiel says, and turn it into a heart of what? Flesh. 
that God can save a wretched sinner like Drew Klein, that he can change my life, that he can give me hope. That's what he's done, and that's what he does in Malta. Healing is taking place. People are paying attention, and he takes that attention away from healing and says, yes, only Jesus can do that. I can't do that. Let me tell you about him. We know that the gospel took root on Malta because uh, one of the things they found, archaeological finds on Malta, is they found these, these catacombs where Christian families would bury their, their loved ones in these catacombs underground. And they, they knew that they would come there, they would worship underground uh, in these burial uh, funerals, if you would. They would take communion, they would make uh, symbols on the walls. They, these catacombs are from the second century. This is literally less than 50 years from when Paul was there. Did Paul preach? It's not recorded, so did he preach? Of course he did. That's who Paul was. That is what Paul did. And we see, historically even, the evidences of the gospel of Jesus flourishing on Malta. Friends, I just want to encourage you and remind you that as I look at our story, it's been kind of crazy, hectic over the last several weeks with storms and shipwrecks, snake bite. Again, this is another one of those moments. Don't you see, Paul, again, I'm in the comedy world, but the snake's hanging from Paul, and he's like, really, God, a snake too? You know? Snakes, storms, shipwrecks, swimming for your life, and yet Jesus is going to build his church. Right? Pandemics, crazy politics, godless culture, and yet Jesus in our day today is going to build his church. Amen? It's going to happen. It is happening. It is happening. Where are you in this army? What is God doing in your heart to move this mission forward? Because God has not called a Christian to just sit on the couch and receive. I believe God wants to give every one of us a platform. I so wish that the healing platform was still available. I wish I could be one of those apostles that I'd take off for the hospital right now and clear that place out. But he hasn't. But I have experienced the miracle of salvation. Have you? It's like nothing else in my life. I've seen that. He's given me that platform that he's saved me. He's changed me. He's changing me. And he's given me his word to know him and love him and make him known. To be honest about my struggles. To be real before people who love me and I love. To walk life with others in community because that's the only way I'm going to grow to know him more. You cannot grow to know Jesus more by yourself. And how many people think they can? I'll be in my church over here on the lake. I'll be, I'll be good. I'm good. No. That's not the design of the church. That's not the design of uh, discipleship that we see in Scripture. We need one another. We need to be held accountable to one another, and God is calling us to it. One more thing I want to bring to your attention that I think is pretty beautiful. Last week we talked about promises, how God keeps his promises, and he does, doesn't he? We even see that in this story, God keeping his promises. You might remember the ship is anchored they cut the anchors, they make a run for the beach, the ship starts breaking up, people start jumping over, swimming. And what, what's the first thing we see in our text today about the people of Malta? 
They are unusually kind, Luke says. There's an unusual kindness. They bless Paul. They bless these people on this ship. I want you to look with me at a promise that God made to Abraham a long time before this. Genesis 12, verse 2. It says, and I will make of you, speaking to Abraham about Israel, about who Abraham's family would become, I will make of you a great nation and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. Listen to this. I will bless those who bless you. And him who dishonors you, I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. We see this playing out in this story. Paul's boat gets there, they swim to shore, and the people have unusual kindness. They are blessing Paul with a fire, with food, caring for them for three months. Unusual kindness. They bless Paul. So what does God do? God blesses them. He, he heals them, everybody. He saves them and starts his church on Malta. God is blessing them and fulfilling his promise to Abraham. Three months later, after Paul working on his church and building leaders and elders and getting ready to sail away, these people have a full understanding of the mission. And it's, look at verse 10. Luke says, they also honored us greatly. And when we were about to sail, they put on board whatever we needed. Isn't that awesome? I, I love this cycle of mission. These people went in three months from thinking Paul was a murderer. No, 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 no. He's a God. To God clearly doing a work in healing and salvation on that island. And now they're a part of the mission. Now they're giving to the mission of what Jesus is going to do with Paul on to Rome. So here's where I want to close Today we get a pretty great lesson in mission. In fact, uh, missional living is one of our core values here at South City. It's on the back uh, door back there, right, that we want to make disciples. It's a big deal to us. What that means is we want every partner of South City, every one of you, to have a daily, uh, momentary, minute-by-minute uh, minute awareness that people need Jesus, that's what we want you to have. My daughter and I, we went to Magic Springs yesterday to spend some family time. I was, Daisy and I were sitting next to each other looking at a sea of people. And we're talking, I just said, isn't it neat? All these colors, all these shapes, all these different looks, different people, and yet every one of them has, is created in God's image, and every one of them has a soul that's going to be in heaven or hell. How does it make you feel? Now, can we just sit here and just let people go by and make all kinds of judgments and narratives about people? Or do we really want to look in every person's eye and pray, God, would you bring them to yourself? God, would you give me an opportunity to speak with somebody? Would you make me aware of their need for you and give me a platform, whatever it is, to speak life and Jesus to them? Here's the things I think we need. We need leaders that are willing to serve and pray and bless those in need. With intentionality, that's what we need. We need leaders who don't live by some humanistic, humanistic uh, religion. I feels this, it seems to me like this, and guess what, our world is full of it. <laughs> full of these little thoughts, right? Love is love, right? That makes sense. It makes sense to me, right? 
No, God is love, the Bible says. And God defines love. You don't get to. I don't get to. So we follow his design by the word of God. And then I want us today to pray for opportunities, for platforms to share the gospel of Jesus with people. And you go, I don't really have a platform. Yes, you do. You do. Maybe you don't know it. Maybe you're a leader of a family. Maybe you work a job. Maybe you have neighbors. Maybe you volunteer someplace. But what, in every one of those, God has given you a potential platform to share the gospel of Jesus. Are you aware of it missionally? Do you understand that you have an opportunity? Mission starts with service, so serve people. Ministry starts with, with prayer, so pray that God would use you in this mission. Don't get caught up in bad theology Talk to them about God's grace. And look for opportunities, platforms to make Jesus known. I, I love the cycle that we see, right? People going from false belief to seeing God work to responding to God's work and then resourcing his mission and being on mission themselves. That's what happens when he saves us. Where are you at in that journey? Where are you at in that cycle? False belief? Acknowledging God's work? Responding to God's work? Resourcing? Being on mission yourself? Where are you at in that cycle? Because that's what a missional cycle ought to look like. And all of us find ourselves there somewhere. Are we on mission? Are we sharing the most beautiful love story we've ever heard of? That God loved us enough to send his only son to die for us. That's our only hope. Pray with me this morning. Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for the blessing of being with your people. God, thank you that we're a family. This is not just a service that we attend and some guy we listen to, the music we sing along with. These are family members that we share life with. These are people that we're uh, on mission with. God, thank you for this story of snake bites and bad theology. Thank you for the promises that you've made to us and thank you even more so for keeping every promise. God, the greatest miracle there is is the miracle of salvation and I pray that we would recognize that in our own hearts and lives and that we would live from that miracle to make you known, God. Your word says you've made us now to have a ministry of reconciliation. God, I pray that that's what we have, that we're intentional about it, that we're praying about it, we're serving people, and we're believing your word to do it. God, now I just want to celebrate. Lord, I want to I celebrate this moment that you have saved my heart and saved my life, and you are changing me to be more like Jesus every day. I am a sinner, and I make mistakes. And yet, God, your grace covers me as it covered Paul. And today we celebrate another young lady who's trusting you with her life, you with her eternity, and saying yes to you, Lord. She wants to serve you. She wants to follow you. She wants to love you. What a beautiful picture of how you love us, that we identify with you in your death and burial and your resurrection as she comes out of the water. And she shows that this is a new life 
She's a new creature in Jesus. God, I'm jealous of that first century church in Acts 2 that said they had people coming to know you every single day. Lord, I want to see people come to know you in Southwest Little Rock, in Central Arkansas. God, I pray that you would bring people to yourself who need you, that they would see their need for you, God, and that by your grace, you would lead them to your truth. And give us the privilege, Lord, of being family with them, walking life with them, baptizing them, teaching them of you and your goodness. So today we celebrate, God, along with every angel in heaven over this precious soul. And we thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen.